Want to hear something amazing? Oh, and feel free to tell your friends too. So, Kohl's, they're having a huge sale on summer stuff. And if you live for sunny days like I do, you need to check it out. I got 40% off a new patio set, Food Network grilling essentials for 20% off, and 50% off those yard games my kids won't stop talking about. Best part? I got an extra 15% off and some Kohl's cash. It almost makes being cooped up all winter worth it. Almost. Select styles 15% off for ends May 16th. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him. You love him. Is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we got word that the Broncos and Chris Harris Jr. have officially traded proposals. John Elway has sent his counteroffer. And so now we all wait on bated breath to see how the Harris camp is going to respond. Yeah, this was the expectation since last week when Elway once again denied uh, Harris's demand to become the NFL's highest paid corner by average annual value. Um, They're not going to meet that number, but it's, it's encouraging to me that negotiations are ongoing and they're not still at a stalemate, Chad. They're making some headway here. And the more they hammer things out, uh, it won't be long, I think, before they come to some sort of middle ground. Yeah. I've heard a few colleagues floating around like, you know, you could, um, what's a good word for it? You could award him or recognize his, his contribution and still make the offer enough to where it's not an insult. <clears throat> you know, if it's like $11.5 million or $12 million. still more than Kareem Jackson, but not like too much to pay for a 30 and over cornerback, which to me, if I'm Chris Harris and you just paid a guy, Kareem Jackson, who's a good player, don't get me wrong, <clears throat> zero accolades, never won a Super Bowl, and you only want to give me like half a million dollars more per year or even a million based on what I'm already asking for, no, it's it's not happening. I'm going to play out my my this, this year on my contract, and then I'm out of here. Yeah, I and mean, we've, we've touched on this a lot. There's no way that they're going to re-sign him to a long-term deal if that's their goal for anything less than – I would say the bare minimum is 13.5, but somewhere in the 14 range, I think would get it done by principle and by, you know, to avoid the title and the ego aspect of it. I don't think they'll go to 15 to make him and give him that the, the the highest paid title award, the cornerback. But they will up their offer. He'll make almost double what he's making now, Chad, seven and change. So that'd be a good a little promotion for them if they can come to some sort of compromise. I would pay him 13 and a half. I wouldn't pay him 15. If it, if paying nah, him, yeah. you know, 15 million or keeping him, if that's what it came down to, I'd say play out your contract. Thanks for everything. Right. You know, catch you later in 2020. Good but luck in 2020, yeah. I think he'll accept less, and I think that's right in the pocket, right there, 13 and a half million. You are putting him right up there in the in the top bracket amongst all cornerbacks. And, uh, you know, you're not paying top-of-the-line max contracts. So you can save some face publicly and still be the tough negotiating John Elway by saying, look, everybody knew he wanted 15, and in I come, guns blazing, and I whittle it down to 13.5. You're welcome. 
I mean, I also think it's fair. I mean, he is 30 years old. He is coming off an injury. Uh, he is getting up there in years. He's not a spring chicken any longer. Still a good player. Uh, but there's no way he can look at 14 in the face, which is double what he's making now almost, and saying it's not good enough. I mean, he has to accept his responsibility in these negotiations, Chad. I mean, he has to also look out for the team and it being a business as well. Yeah. Well, Hopefully this is a sign that some momentum is building up on this front and we can get a resolution maybe even before mandatory minicamp. So we'll we'll see how it shakes out. But today, of course, is VIP Mailbag Friday, and we are going to answer the questions of our VIP subscribers here in just a second. First, though, a couple of quick matters of business. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. It is the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the Huddle Up podcast in real time. And you guys have been doing a great job following the account. It's growing each and every day. And then also, don't forget to leave your creative review on iTunes and give us that five-star rating. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. All right. It is that time of the week where Zach and I take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag VIP edition because we are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer you the absolution and answers to your Burning Broncos questions. And the first one here comes from No Fly Zone 2125 going on 17 months as a VIP subscriber. How has Drew Locke been looking out there since making strides, and how's his arm looking and this is kind of a two-pronger, Zach. And if Jake Buck comes back healthy, what kind of tight end set could we run with him and Fant on the field together? That would be a scary combo. Your answer for no fly zone 2125. Uh, I'm not trying to read into too much of these practices for the rookie minicamp and the OTAs, but Locke, physically, I mean, his arm is there. I mean, there's been video clips on Twitter where he's rolled out of the pocket and just launches those arm angles. So physically, he's the prospect the Broncos thought he was getting. But mentally, I mean, obviously, it's only been a couple practices. He has a long way to go. He's not going to get Pete for the starting job. But for what it's worth thus far, I mean, he's looked pretty good. In terms of the tight ends, that's the that's the ideal scenario to me. They're going to run a lot of two tight end sets. I'd rather have Fant and a healthy Bud in there than have Fant and Hireman or Fant and Fumagalli. It all depends on Bud's health. Uh, we talked about it on yesterday's show, Chad. I don't happen to think, you know, he has to prove a lot to me, Jake, but I don't happen to think it's a cinch he's going to be coming back healthy or even have a roster spot waiting for him. But in this scenario, if he is 100%, that would open up this offense a lot more. And the Broncos still like what they have in him, and they're still high on him. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, if Jake Butt, you know, if his injury days are behind him and he can now just focus on being on the field, he's going to make for a very, very good number two tight end for the Denver Broncos with, of course, Noah Fant being number one. And you guys have heard me talk about it on the podcast now several times. I've mentioned it, but 
Rich Gangarello is coming from that Kyle Shanahan offense where they love running two tight end sets, including between the 20s, but especially in the red zone, which is going to open up all kinds of opportunities for scoring for Noah Fant and Jake Butter, whichever the second tight end ends up being predominantly in those two tight end sets. And Drew Locke, look, he's looked good out there. But at the same time, he has clearly looked like the rookie in comparison to Joe Flacco, who has looked much more in command, even though he, too, is learning a new offense. And he, too, is in a new football environment. Flacco has been around the block in the NFL long enough to know kind of how to operate. So he's, you know, he's he's a ways ahead. He's more, even though he's only been here six weeks of real time at Dove Valley, longer than Drew Locke, he's got that 11 years under his belt of knowing how to navigate you know with teammates with coaches with film breakdowns and all that so he's he's a step or two ahead of drew lock right now it'll just be interesting zach to see how much of that distance lock might be able to close this summer but we're probably not going to be able to really see any kind of you know material with which to analyze that until at least or the soonest the preseason yeah, like I mentioned, I mean, he's looked good physically, but it, it he was having trouble barking out the plays in the huddle chat on the first day of rookie minicamp. I mean, that's how infantile his stage of development still is at this point. He has a long, long ways to go, and the Broncos haven't haven't made any bones about that. They've been honest. They've owned that. He is the backup right now. And like you said, at the earliest they'll have some sort of return on their investment would have to be in the preseason, but a few weeks in, because even on the first game, he's going to have his nerves. I mean, the best way to learn, this is why I kind of agree with what Flacco said, it's not by listening, it's by doing, it's by taking those reps. So the more reps that Locke gets in the preseason, the more picture you know, we'll have to go on if, if how he's going to be in his development. And for what it's worth, the Broncos sent Drew Locke and Noah Fant to the NFL Rookie Symposium. They got into a little bit of a fender bender while on the shuttle. <laughs> at uh, LAX, and uh, they're fine. But afterward, TMZ got in front of Drew Locke to ask him about the kind of, at least what's been perceived in the media as an inflammatory remark, or at least a charged remark from Joe Flacco, that he's it's not his job to mentor Drew Locke. TMZ got in front of Locke and asked how things are going with Flacco, and Locke said, he's been great to me, and then said, quote, me and Joe, he's taught me a lot so far. He's dealing with trying to win football games, and I am dealing with trying to learn. We're in the same quarterback room, close quote. Zach, how did you interpret that remark? I mean, that's good on him for taking the high ground there. That's that's the exact kind of answer you want from a rookie player who's still uh, finding his way, obviously, in, in this league, still, you know, trying to pay his dues. He has to kind of suck up a little bit to his counterparts and his superiors. But I thought that answer was great. Don't stoke the fire. Just put your head down and work. All right, next question here comes from Chris21, going on four months as a VIP subscriber. Chris says, I want to hear about what everyone is avoiding, that long snapper position battle. <laughs> but seriously, I just want to thank you for all you and the team does. I appreciate the no-nonsense reporting we get from Mile High Huddle. Appreciate that, Chris. Appreciate you. Uh, next question here comes from Jay Smith, 5280 stud, been with us as a VIP subscriber for many years now. Going on his, he's actually entering his fourth football season as a VIP subscriber. He says, Jacob says, how is the organization structured now with Vic Fangio in the building? Obviously, John Elway sits at the top of the hierarchy. How does the chain of command fall under him in relation to talent acquisition, the draft, the final 53? Fangio seems to have a prominent voice. Also, do you think there is a succession plan in place after Fangio down the road? Scangarello seems to have a strong position early on in this regime, circa 2019, which it's actually kind of an interesting observation he makes there, Zach, because 
I mean, it's not like that. He's a he's a new hire for the Broncos, but compounding that is the fact that Scangarello's never been a coordinator in the NFL, and yet they gave him a pretty heavy hand in the draft and you know free agency, the the acquisition even of Joe Flacco. Scangarello had a role in that, so it is interesting. You know, it brings up a, a question whether or not the Broncos have considered that. My bet would be that right now that's a bridge too far for them to worry about. The focus right now is Vic Fangio. Yeah. You're our head coach. Let's get this thing rolling and see how, you know, privately Elway and, and Joe Ellis and Matt Russell, they're probably thinking, let's see how, A, Vic Fangio does with the team, and then B, just kind of at his age, how he handles this. Yeah, it's way, way too soon to start talking about succession plans and, and you know, that way it's too starting his first year, Vic Fangio. Can you give him one season first and Scangarello one season first? If they wanted to do that short-term uh, transition, they probably would have made a bigger push to hire Zach Taylor, I felt like, and not Scangarello. So, yeah, I'm good with Fangio. I think he'll be here for a while, and I don't think the Broncos even consider that for a second. They are very high in what Vic brings to the table. They think he could be that... You know, that John Madden type, that, that coach that's just around for a decade or decade plus, that's what he can bring to the table. So it, it's pointless to think about his replacement way down the road. In terms of the power structure, Fangio definitely has more power, but all the coaches do in the building. That's one thing that's made Elway a better GM this year. He's been open to input and and and, and reaction to his coaches. He's taken their cues. He's leaned on them and trusted them. And that's why you saw the draft hall this year. All those different voices uh, made their presence felt, and he took it into consideration. And Elway didn't insulate himself like in years past. He allowed himself to be open to criticism and recommendations, and and you saw the positive result from that. Vic, Fan- uh, Vic Fangio has received more of a prominent role in decision-making out of the gates and quicker than Vance Joseph ever did. And I think one of the reasons for that, Zach, is that when John Elway met with Fangio in that interview, which was the final interview of his you know top four or five candidates, whatever it was, on a Monday following the Chicago Bears loss and that divisional uh, playoff loss, I think Elway sat down with Vic Fangio, and it was a kind of dynamic where Elway went, I'm actually talking to somebody who knows more than I know. I'm right. actually talking to somebody that might have a better understanding of what needs to happen at the coaching level than even I think I do right now. And so in that vein, I think Elway has looked up to and respected and, and coveted Vic Fangio's input on everything. I would be shocked if Vic Fangio hasn't played a role in just about every personnel acquisition one way or another, with the exception of maybe some of the more, um, you know, farther down the road college free agents they signed that Fangio would probably have no idea who they are, right? But the, the, the actual draft picks, the free agent acquisitions very clearly have Vic Fangio's fingerprints on it. And even though that might sound counterintuitive, because the Broncos did, after all, draft three offensive players with their first three picks, Fangio, Zach, I think his, has been woven in to the power structure quite quickly, exponentially faster than, than Vance Joseph ever was, and might even be on like the same type of level respect-wise that Gary Kubiak enjoyed his first year as head coach, even though you know, he had 30 years of a working relationship with John Elway under his belt. Yeah, this is something we've discussed on previous pods, Chad. It, it's the simple fact that Elway respects Fangio as a professional and as a man. And I don't think he respected Vance Joseph in either department there. I just He felt like he was working with a kid, and now I feel like he's sitting at the adults' table. I mean, he views Fangio as his equal, not as his lesser. And that's where the respect comes in. They're closer in age. They grow up in the same time period. They have a lot more in common. And it's just been a better, a better working relationship, and you've seen the fruits of that labor pay off. Next question here comes from Burke, 2105, going on two months as a VIP. 
Burke says, with reports of Bryce Callahan getting some looks at boundary corner, I was wondering if y'all think he could be effective at it. Well, we know that last year in Chicago, Zach, Bryce Callahan was a dominant nickel corner. He played most of his snaps when he was on defense was inside in the slot, but he also did receive some snaps on the outside. This isn't completely new to him, and based on the film reviews I've done, looking at his stuff, when he was on the outside, he did just fine. I don't think if the Broncos end up needing to lean on him to play boundary corner, I don't think that's going to be much of an issue with a few exceptions maybe of going up against teams like going up against the L.A. Chargers, for example, where you got this massive opponent like Mike Williams who can really out-physical you and jump above you because you're 5'10 and he's 6'3 or whatever he is. Yeah, you can get away with it. He's definitely passable on the outside. If an injury happens or Harris gets traded or whatever, um, it's just not ideal. He's a dominant elite uh, slot corner, as you said, Chad, and that's where he should be played. That's where you maximize his talent and his potential. And in an ideal situation, you have Harris on the outside and Kareem Jackson on the outside. But if you have to move one of them to the outside, uh, Kareem Jackson can play both. I'd rather have uh, Callahan and Harris you know, be in their wheelhouse, Chad, and not remove from it just for the sake of necessity. The next question here comes from Stuart Bronco, going on one month. So he's been with, he's he's newly a VIP. Stuart says, and by the way, welcome, Stuart. Glad to have you aboard. And I see that you're just beginning your activity here on the on the forums. And I want to encourage you to keep that up, continue, help us grow the community, participate, engage in the conversations. We value that. Stuart says, injuries. We all know they're coming, and we hate to see them. But last year, the Broncos were hit hard by lower body injuries. Yep. You guys mentioned Lauren Landau may have something to do with it. As a former personal trainer, I wonder what these things could be. Do you guys have any knowledge of anything different the players may or may not be doing to prevent injury? Let's hope for great health this year for the Broncos from Stewart. Now, Zach, I think both of us would have to be lying to our listeners if we were to say we have intimate knowledge on right. what the Broncos are doing, specifically training-wise, health yeah. regimens-wise, under Lauren Landau. And, you know, here's the thing. We've, we've not blamed Lauren Landau for the rash of injuries the Broncos had, especially lower body injuries last year, directly. All we're saying is that, you know, there's no such thing as coincidence, and you had Rich, Luke Richardson, excuse me, leave to go to that Texans job, and up to that point, the Broncos had, had enjoyed a relative stable area with or era, I should say, with regard to health. In comes Lauren Landau. It's a new approach. Even though a lot of the players, Zach, were familiar with him from working out with him at his facility there in right. Denver, his private facility. And it just, uh, we don't know how different their regimens are, what their philosophies, how they might have changed between Richardson and Landau. All we know is the results. So let's just hope last year, Zach, was, was more of an outlier and we are completely wrong. And in this particular case, it was a coincidence. I'm hoping it was an anomaly. Uh, we're not privy, like you said, Chad, to the workout regimens and their, and that kind of thing. But it seems like ever since Greek took a, a less of an active role in the training staff and the day-to-day stuff, the, the, it just went down the tubes. I don't think it's anything Landau did specifically last year. I think that was just a bad luck. And injuries are part of the game. A lot of fans get upset by that, but it happens. It's part of the NFL. And if you want to point fingers... Point to Roger Goodell and the NFLPA and the CBA for eliminating two-a-days and contact practices and this and that. That has more to do with injuries than anything, you know, strength training. I hope, considering how renowned that Landau came to the Broncos, he can pull this around. We'll know this year, though. It's not off to a good start with Nico Falago going down with 
than Achilles, a lower body's injury. Um, but we just have to, like you said, Chad, we have to hope it's nothing they're doing specifically. Yeah, and for what it's worth, nobody knows that information, Stuart. That's information that teams zealously guard yeah. how they train and how they their strength and conditioning staff manages the roster. So one more from Stuart here. He says, shame on me for double dipping in the mailbag. Ha ha, but no pressure to answer if you don't have time. It's my first time posting to the forum as a VIP, and I can't help wonder uh, about Flacco's receiving core over the years in Baltimore. I don't remember too many great weapons. Both Steve Smith and Anquan Bolden did well, but even they were a bit past their prime. I can see a more productive Flacco with the re- this receiving core. Can you guys think back to some of the weapons or lack thereof that Joe Flacco had to work with? Feel free to look them up if needed, he says. Um, I mean, yeah, you landed on probably his most high-profile targets, but he also had recently Torrey Smith in recent years. He had Mike Wallace. If we you know, really Googled it, we could come up with some more off the top of my head. And then some phenomenal tight ends, uh, at least maybe not phenomenal tight ends, but above-average tight ends when healthy like Dennis Pitta and before that, Todd Heap. I would say Todd Heap was way above average. I think he was he a really a good tight end. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's what Flacco's leaned on. He likes those those seam guys. So, yeah, he hasn't had the best receiving core. I think, obviously, Bolden and Steve Smith. He had Crabtree last year and John Brown. Uh, those are his best, and it's not great, but he's always leaned on his tight ends. And that's why you're seeing Noah Fan in the Broncos uniform right now. That's why you're seeing four tight ends on the roster. So he hasn't had a great supporting cast historically in his career. And uh, that's where the optimism comes from because this Broncos offense, if you want to look at it from top to bottom, they're pretty stacked with weapons. So it's definitely encouraging. I mean, I can think back to Jacoby Jones in 2012 who was kind of the guy they, that Baltimore used to take the top off the defense. And that season was probably the best supporting cast Flacco ever had. And that's the year, of course, they won the Super Bowl. So I think the Broncos, at least on paper, with a healthy Emmanuel Sanders and a healthy Philip Lindsay, this could be, even in his first year as a Bronco, the best, at least at the skill position levels, supporting cast Flacco's ever had. Now, whether or not he'll be able to make hay with that remains to be seen, but as you guys know, I'm a lot more optimistic on that particular question. And by the way, Nick Kendall published an illuminating article on Thursday. I encourage you guys to go read that basically lays out all the factors that make him believe the Broncos have a chance to be a top 15 offense this year under Scangarello and Joe Flacco. So, And by the way, Stuart, again, welcome. Make sure uh, you hang out on the forums. Don't, uh, don't just wait for the VIP mailbags. Engage in the conversation. We need you. We appreciate you. Next question here comes from BroncoGig95, going on 27 months as a VIP subscriber. He says, I might be seeing this team through orange-colored glasses, but I can't help but feel like this team is being extremely underrated. I might be crazy, but I think this is a playoff team with Joe Flacco and with the rest of the additions this offseason's at. Uh, I mean, you know how I feel. I don't think they're playoff team just yet, but they're definitely not worse. And that ESPN article that came out yesterday or that one writer that had a take that said the Broncos got worse this offseason is ridiculous. They are are leaps and bounds better from a personnel aspect and a coaching aspect, just top to bottom. I don't know about playoffs. I think they'll come up just short of that. I'm not sold on Flacco, as most people know, but they're definitely an 8-9 win team, if not more, with the potential they have with the coaches and the players. I'll tap into that optimism. You're feeling a little bit there, Bronco Gig 95. I really do think that this is a team that is being overlooked right now, and that's a good thing. Unfortunately, they do have a ridiculously difficult schedule on paper sitting here in May. And if it weren't for that, I'd probably join you in going a little bit more crazy in terms of this is a playoff team. But they are going to face a veritable war of attrition. 
So if the coaching changes end up being as effectual as we think they're going to be and the upgrades on the offensive line and the different skill positions, if it all comes together, this is a team that you know can contend with anyone. And the biggest question, Zach, and last year we saw this in all the big moment situations with only a couple of exceptions, the Broncos would come up just short, right? And they'd lose by single score to really good teams. And a lot of that had to do simply with situational awareness, you know, savvy coaching. And I think that with those changes, Vic Fangio coming in, Ed Donatel, Mike Munchak, Rich Scangarello, that's enough in and of itself, I think, to give this team a bump in those type of situations where now it's just a matter of are the personnel pieces in place and is Flacco really a guy who's on a mission? Can he, you know, harness that emotional chip he's got to have on his shoulder as a former quote-unquote franchise quarterback that was discarded by his original team? I think there's something to that, Zach, but, you know, here we are sitting in May. There's still so much of the – just even the offseason and training camp left to go that we'll continue to gather more information on this as we go along. You know, rather than harp on coaching, because I think there's no doubt they're going to be better this year, I want to echo you, Chad, when you say it all comes down to the quarterback for the Broncos. It's as simple as that. The defense should be fine. Uh, the rest of the position should be fine. The coaching should be much improved. If Flacco can step up and have a positive year and the Broncos can win because of him and not in spite of him, they can be a playoff team and like and anything can happen once they're in. But if he has a year where he, you know, he suffers, he has another injury, he's just not effective, they are not going to be a playoff team and it's going to be another struggle. So to me, I'm not worried about any aspect of this Broncos team, except for maybe chemistry, than the quarterback. It, it all comes down to Flacco for me. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself. All things being equal, it really does just come down to the teams that have the good quarterbacks who produce in, uh, you know, consistently and then also in key situations. Those are the teams that compete each and every year. And it's been a while since Flacco could say he's done that. So right now all we can do is project, and uh, we'll see how it shakes out. Now we got a few more questions still left to go in the mailbag. First, though, you guys, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. When it comes to mornings, Wendy's is always the right choice. And now that our honey butter chicken biscuit is $1.99, it's easy to steer clear of bad breakfast. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. Limited time only at participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. A la carte only, not valid in a combo. Ese último McNugget me toca a mí porque soy la mayor. ¿Y eso qué tiene que ver? Los mayores se respetan. Eso no existe, ¿cierto, mamá? Ya. Yeah. Quédense tranquilas. Aquí hay otra cajita de McNuggets. Respeto, ¿viste? El no hay rivalidad cuando hay McNuggets deal. Hay un deal para cada salida familiar en McDonald's. Compra uno de tus favoritos, como unos McNuggets de 10 piezas, una Big Mac, una Quarter Pounder with Cheese o un Fileo Fish y te llevas otro por un dólar. Por tiempo limitado, precios y participación pueden variar. Válido para un producto de igual o menor valor. All right. Our next question here comes from, again, No Fly Zone 2125. And when we say we're going to answer every question from our VIPs in the mailbag, we mean it, even if there's double ups. He says, I'm also excited about Drew Locke being able to grow with these young, other young guys, having all these weapons that are going to grow with and make strides with. I feel like the future is looking bright in the Broncos organization. In your opinions, does Locke look like he's going to become a good starting quarterback in the league with a little bit of work with Scangarello and TC McCartney? I have a good feeling about Locke. He has all the tools and sure seems like he's ready and willing to work on his flaws. 
Yeah, I, I can't disagree with the last part of that. I, it's way, obviously, you can't tell now whether he's going to be a starting quarterback, whether he's going to be a franchise quarterback, whether he's going to be a bust. It's He's only had a few practices. But I do have a good feeling about him. He has the physical tools, and he has more of a drive, more of an it factor, more leadership than Paxton Lynch ever possessed. So if they can just put that together and they have a quarterback whisperer in Scangarello who's developed quarterbacks and his resume is bolstered, uh, they have something there. It's just I'm not going to make any determinations one way or the other based on three practices so far. I mean, I do think the Broncos have the future of the quarterback situation solved right now. Drew, Drew Locke's not ready to be unleashed on the NFL quite yet, and that's not a bad thing. He does need to polish off the edges a little bit. He's got some stuff to learn, and just like John always talked about, that's one of the reasons why they felt like he was a fit, especially at pick 42, is he's in a situation where he can come in and learn from a fellow long, uh, you know, big-armed quarterback under Rich Gangarello without the pressures and expectations and perception of first-round pedigree. So I would circle 2020 as the year to really start making our kind of more uh, fully formed opinions and projections on Drew Locke because if he develops the way that he should as a high-round pick going into 2020 and if the Broncos hover around 500 or even win one or two games above 500 and even make the playoffs, you know, Drew, uh, uh, Joe Flacco, his price tag's going up by a couple million next year. And so the Broncos will have to decide whether or not he's that much more of an upgrade over Drew Locke because Locke's going to cost him somewhere around $18 million less if they were to go with him as the starter in 2020. So we'll see how that shakes out. Now, next question here comes from Anon6234552 underscore scout. Now, real quick, Anon, this is I'm trying to help you out here. You were, I'm guessing, well, and it says you're going on 31 months as a VIP. You were one of the VIPs that were with Mile High Huddle back when we were on the scout platform before we merged with CBS and 24-7 Sports. And some people who had accounts with us as VIPs back then, when it merged over to 24-7 Sports, it didn't carry over your screen name. So my advice is go to your settings under your profile on the website and you know create a name so it's not a non-6234552 underscore scout. Question, though, he says, what would a job description for a QB2 look like? I'm talking during the week and during this, the season. Of course, he has to be ready to step into the game if the quarterback one gets hurt. But during the week, does he take the offense's twos against the defense's ones? Does he simulate Sunday's opponent running their offense? Does he practice solely with the twos? Or does he get some reps with the ones? Are there some plays that he practices, a script, he says here in parentheses, that he'll use if and when he has to play on Sunday? And then... When does a quarterback three do? What does that quarterback do during the season? You actually answered most of your own questions right there, right. my friend. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Now, it depends on how many quarterbacks a team carries into the regular season. Oftentimes, like Chad Kelly, um, well, Chad Kelly's not a good example. The third, the third quarterback will run scout team, okay, in most cases. The number two's job is to prepare in the same way that the number one does, with the exception of, they're not getting the first team reps. They're getting reps with the, with the twos. And the twos go against the one defense and sometimes against scout teams. So it kind of varies and depends, Zach, based on team to team. And the Broncos are going to be extra careful, I think, in, in dousing any sort of con- quarterback controversy. So Locke is not going to get any reps with the ones unless there's injury or just continued ineffectiveness. And let me just add one more thing. About this whole backup mentor thing, Locke should not be preparing like he's the second-string quarterback, if he is. He needs to prepare like he's the starter every single week. He needs to prepare like he's going to take Joe Flacco's job at a moment's notice, just like Lamar Jackson did last year. If he has that mindset, that'll behoove him way more than just accepting the fact that he's a backup quarterback for now in this league. 
Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest differences, like Brock Osweiler, when it was Brock and Zach Dysert. Brock was in the, the meeting rooms, and so was Dysert, but Brock was preparing right alongside Peyton Manning as if he were starting. You have to do that if, when you're the backup. And some backups, just like you intimate there in your comment and your questions, do have specific packages that, you know, if they end up getting called into, into action, that the coach is going to kind of leaf into and, and utilize because they maybe don't have as much of the playbook down or whatever the reason might be, more less experience, what, what have you. Good example of that, Tim Tebow, right? The Broncos had to run a completely different playbook, essentially, when they went from Kyle Orton to Tim Tebow just because of his limitations, skill set, and experience. And so in Drew Locke's case, Zach, I think Drew Locke is going to be expected to operate the offense essentially the exact same as Joe Flacco. I don't think there are, he's going to be asked to learn or you know have Rich Gangarello carve out a certain subset of plays that are for lock only in case of emergency type thing. I think it's going to be on equal footing, except, of course, Flacco's getting those one reps. Yeah, I don't want the Broncos to baby him or treat him with kid gloves. I mean, treat him like he's a starter. Give him the same plays, the same attention, and and, uh, have him prepare the same way. That's the only way he's going to be able to step in if there's an injury, anything happens, and still be able to have success, you know, as a rookie quarterback. Next question here comes from Arctic Bronco, going on four months as a VIP subscriber. He says, I added War Room and the genius Bill Walsh transformed football to my reading list based on your recommendations. What are some other good books to add to the list? Thanks for all that you guys do. I'll tell you what. A couple of things as a Broncos fan, I would go get Slow Getting Up, which was written by Nate Jackson, the former tight end, which is a great kind of you know window into the life of a fringe kind of practice squad undrafted guy trying to make it and stick in the NFL, but especially what makes his story compelling in that book, and he's a phenomenal writer. As someone who reads a lot, trust me when I say that, Nate Jackson was, is a great writer, but what makes his book that much more interesting is you get an inside-the-locker-room perspective on that fateful 2006 season when Mike Shanahan uh, decided to bench Jake Plummer with, a, with the lead in the AFC West and the team on the way to making the playoffs for Jake Cutler, the first-round pick, how the veterans perceived that phenomenal book. Get that one. Wade Phillips' book, Son of Bum. Gives you a window into the Super Bowl 50 season. That's a great book. Some other non-Broncos-oriented books. Go get, uh, what's it called, uh, Take Your Eye Off the Ball. I can't remember. Pat Kerwan, I think, is, is the author. I might be mistaking that. But that that's a couple lists. I don't know if you have any for him. Here's that. Yeah, I'm not a huge, super huge reader, but one book I did check out that I love was the Belichick book by Ian O'Connor. I believe he wrote it. It's just a great portrait, a great inside look at arguably hate him or love him. One of, if not the best coach in the NFL NFL history. I just thought it was a really uh, great peek behind the curtain into what makes Bill Belichick tick. So I would uh, pick up that too, if you could. And for what it's worth, I have a huge library of football books and a lot of them sent to me and given to me and bequeathed to me by the great Doc Bear. And as I begin and start a new one, you guys are always going to hear me mentioning it on the podcast. So just, you know, look for that when I'll mention what I'm reading, whether or not it's worth your time as a listener. So next question here comes from Paul, 826, going on five months as a VIP. Paul says, what would Joe Flacco have to do in 2019 to get Zach to buy and wear a Mile High Joe (laughs) t-shirt? And this year, I mean, if you want to buy it for me, I'll wear it. I'll put it on Twitter. I'm not going to spend money on a Mile High Joe t-shirt, but uh, he would have to just, I guess, be consistent. Just come out there and walk the walk and and lead this Broncos team back to respectability and not be Case Keenum. And I would definitely put his shirt on. (laughs) 
All right, next question here comes from a great listener, very supportive on social media, very active and engaged. We really appreciate you, Christy. 2019, she's going on 20 months. She says, thanks for the great work as always, guys. I have a question regarding Flacco's ability or inability to take charge and be that guy for the mentality of the team. I have always seen the Broncos shine best when they have that uh, special camaraderie within the locker room. Looking at his past with the Ravens, I really didn't see him have that type of outgoing personality as you see with other quarterbacks. Do you think he can or will grab the reins and be the type of leader the Broncos haven't had since Peyton Manning? Keep up the excellent work. You all are amazing. Again, thanks, Christy. Um, Zach, I'm going to serve this over to you, but we've talked about before you know, some of the bona fides measure up, for example, on on the surface, even though the Broncos, when they signed Peyton Manning, you know, he was he had all the individual accolades in the world, multiple Pro Bowls and all pros, four time NFL MVP when they signed him, but one Super Bowl on his on his resume, one Super Bowl victory. He'd been to two, but he'd only won one. Joe Flacco, he has that same Super Bowl. Well, not that same, but he has a single Super Bowl win on his resume, but none of the individual accolades. And so you start to see that kind of a departure just in the resume and in what they bring to the table. But from a personality perspective, Zach, they couldn't be more different, you know, and some guys, and that's not the biggest concern that, you know, a quarterback doesn't necessarily have to be the most vocal guy. It's whether or not, you know, they're getting results. If they're getting results, then the other guys will follow them. If they execute in crucial situations, they're consistent, they have discipline and the team gets results, everyone else is going to fall in line. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't be more different uh, if, in terms of intangibilities like that. I mean, Peyton was a get-in-your-face, a fiery rah-rah type, and, and Joe Flacco was very uh, low-key and relaxed and soft-spoken to an extent. And that's his response to the backup quarterback thing. That's, in his mind, that's his way of taking the reins. That's his way of being that guy, saying he's the understood quarterback and saying that I don't want another rookie coming in here. That's his way, and it's just, to me, it, it was struck me as a little tone-deaf, but that's who Joe Flacco is. He's not Peyton Manning. He's never going to be Peyton Manning. And it's unfair to both the Broncos and him to be held in that same standard. I mean, he's going to come in here. He's going to be the same player he always was in Baltimore. He never was that fiery type, that leader type. He's always just come to work and done his job. Yeah. That's what the Broncos are getting. Whether that's good enough, I don't think your personality will have that much bearing in the win column. If he can just make his arm work, that would be more than enough for him. Yep. He's just got to go out there and do it. Just be the quarterback that raises all ships. That's what a real yep. franchise quarterback does. And unfortunately, the reason he's in Denver is because there are real questions as to whether or not he still has the ability to be that guy. So only time will tell. Last question here comes from another great listener of the show, Jedi Joshua 58 going on five months as a VIP. Joshua says, fellas, hope y'all been well. I've been a little busy lately, but still have been listening in as you guys continue to kill it with the content. Y'all have been awesome through free agency, the draft, and of course the regular season. My question is, would you guys be okay if Justin Hollins became a stud inside linebacker rather than an edge guy in the mold maybe of a Jamie Collins? Ooh, interesting comparison. Similar players. It would free up a spot for Malik Reed, mayhaps. Your answer for, for Joshua. Would I be okay with Hollins if he became a stud? Absolutely. I just don't think in year one he's going to be a stud inside linebacker, and I have reservations about making him learn both spots. I'd rather him stick to one. But yeah, no matter what he blossoms at, OLB or ILB, they're going to get a good player. And I'd rather have him an ILB considering the talent they have, the pass rusher. So yeah, I'm with you, Josh, on that one. Um, if he becomes a Jamie Collins as a, as a sixth round, fifth round draft pick, I mean, that's pretty good value there. Right now, the Broncos have more of a need 
for a speedy, fast tackling machine who can cover an off-ball linebacker than they do just another rotational pass rusher. I mean, they have their bookend starters locked down for, for a few more years to come. Von Miller's got at least two more years of prime left in him, and probably, you know, we'll see how much time he has left. Well, on his contract, I think he's got till through 2021, if I'm not mistaken, or is it 2022? I'm not sure. But the Broncos' bottom line, though, have another few years left of that tandem that they can plan on. And as far as backup rushers, you've got Hall, uh, Jeff Holland, you've got Dakota Watson coming over. They, the biggest hole there would be an off-ball linebacker. So if he has the propensity to work out there and he can become a stud, I think that's, what, that's how the Broncos ultimately could become a better defense. And I do think it's interesting. I never thought of that before myself, Joshua. A similar type of size and, and skill set as Jamie Collins, who when he was drafted was kind of a tweener linebacker. Is he edge? Is he off-ball? He ended up and becoming more of an off-ball guy under Belichick. But interesting comparison there that I myself had not drawn those those comparisons quite yet. Yeah, and if they can get him just as a productive player in both spots, I mean, that's just another boon to this defense. If he can be an inside linebacker and, like you said, just help cover – uh, running backs and tight ends run sideline to sideline and then maybe on some packages come in and rush the passer it's just another toy for Vic Fangio amen well hey you guys VIPs thank you so much of course for your support and all of your questions here in this week's mailbag that was a great mailbag a lot of questions made for a great conversation here for Zach and I so thank you for that and uh, but that's going to do it for today's episode of the huddle up podcast we're polishing off another week of broadcasting on the internet for Broncos country. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. Don't forget to leave your creative review. Rate the show on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. You can find Zach on Twitter at Kelberman247, myself at Chad and Jensen. Stay tuned because we will have a fresh episode of Building the Broncos to get you through the weekend. And it's a great one. It's got I mean, Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon, going deep dive on the quarterbacks. It's going to be our podcast's first opportunity to talk to Mark since the draft and get his kind of insider view and his great expert analysis on the Broncos' new quarterback situation. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, Zach and I will catch you on the other side of the weekend. Have a great weekend. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Fifteen minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.